Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, verse 9. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. We are in the midst of a sermon series called Our Identity in Christ. As Christians, our identity needs to be rooted in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's important that we understand who we are as Christians so that we can live out who God has made us to be in Christ. And so as I was thinking about that this week, you know, here would be um, some questions that relate to what we want to consider today. As a Christian, what do you do when, when your struggle with sin causes you to doubt your salvation? How do you respond when you can, can hear the accusations from the evil one? Or how do you respond when your own conscience condemns you because you don't seem to be making progress in the Christian life? In moments like that, it is important that we know and preach to ourselves the truths of the gospel lest we would become incapacitated with with despair and fear. And so the title of the sermon this morning is, I am righteous in God's sight. I am righteous in God's sight. And again, these, I've been wording these statements in the first person I am kind of way, right? Because we're talking about our identity in Christ. Um, it, the glory goes, goes to Christ, goes to God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, because He is the one who, is, who has made this a reality, right? So this is not to make much of us, this is to, to make much of of God and the gospel. So in the sermon today, I want us to consider a courtroom scene because the, the truths we're going to be talking about are, are given to us that way. They're given to us in judicial type language. So imagine that, that you're in the setting of a courtroom. Maybe perhaps you've been in a courtroom before. But pretend you're in one now, but this is God's courtroom. Maybe similar to what we, we heard read earlier from Isaiah 6. The Bible teaches that at the end of history, we will all stand before God. Right? That experience that Isaiah had through that vision of seeing the heavenly courtroom, we'll, I think we'll all have a similar experience to that. We will all stand before God. And as our sovereign creator, the Bible says God is also our final judge and as beings who have been created by God to know him and bring glory to him we will all have to stand before God to give an account for our lives each person will be judged according to the following standards and these are not exhaustive but these are kind of representative did you accurately reflect who God is to this world Did you obey God and love him with all of your being? Did you worship God and live for his glory? God's judgment on that (laughs) concerning us will determine where we spend eternity. If found guilty, we will be cast into a place the Bible calls hell. If found righteous... 
We will be welcomed into heaven to be with God and his people forever. So based on those standards, what do you deserve the judge to say about you? Again, did you accurately reflect who God is to this world? Did you obey God and love him with all your being? Did you worship God and live for his glory? What, what do you deserve to hear the judge say about that concerning you? Well, we're not left to wonder, are we? Because the passage before us tells us the verdict that we all deserve. And that's our first heading today. Verdict deserved. And that is guilty before Almighty God. By nature, we all stand guilty before Almighty God. Look at what God's word says about us. I'll start reading in verse 9 of Romans 3. What then? Are we Jews any better off? Of course, this is the Apostle Paul, a Jew writing this, right? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Did you notice how just absolute and all-encompassing God's word is here when it talks about who we are by nature? Again, verse 10. None is righteous, no, not one. That pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? No one understands. No one seeks for God. Verse 12, all have turned aside. No one does good, not even one. There's no wiggle room there, is there? It's, this is every human by nature is guilty before God, including you and me. And down in verse 19, you know, the, the text says, hey, we're, we're not going to have any excuse, Right? So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. The passage is clear, whether a Jew or a Gentile, whether Jews who were given the, the law of Moses or Gentiles who had the work of the law written on our hearts through our conscience, it's clear that we are all sinners. All of us have turned away from God's righteous ways. All of us have turned away from serving God to serving ourselves. All of us have hearts that devise some kind of wickedness. Again, some, you know, are more blatant in that than others. It's God's restraining grace that keeps us from just completely tearing ourselves apart. But, but we are all have hearts that devise wickedness. All of us say things that are hurtful and divisive. All of us have sinned against God. That is the bottom line. And so again, thinking about a courtroom scene, think about in a human court, 
a lawbreaker has transgressed against who? Against the state, I guess you'd say, right? Or whatever. But not... In, in, in a human court, the, very seldom has the, has the person actually sinned against the judge himself, right? Personally. But in our case, that's exactly what we've done. We have sinned against the judge himself, Almighty God, our Creator. The Bible says we've ignored his provision, failing to thank him and honor him. We've doubted his goodness and decided to take matters into our own hands to thinking we need to meet need our needs our way. We've rejected his worth by looking to other things for our satisfaction, by devoting ourselves to other things as first in our life rather than him. We've begrudged his rule and have fancied ourselves Lord of our lives. So can you picture God's courtroom? You're brought in to stand before the creator God, the king of glory. Again, the closest I can come to it is what Isaiah 6, in my mind's eye. He's, the king of glory is seated on his glorious throne. You're brought in and the brilliance of his glory just highlights your sinfulness, highlights your unworthiness. You, like Isaiah, are just saying, I'm undone. You're not, you're not defending yourself. You're not, there's no way. You know you're a sinner. Nothing's going to get you out of that truth. There's no doubt what verdict you deserve. You are guilty, guilty, guilty. And then in God's courtroom, the verdict is given. Not guilty. Perfectly righteous. That's the gospel. That's our second heading. Verdict given. The verdict given for believers is not guilty. Perfectly righteous. That's called justification. Look at verse 21 of Romans 3. But now the righteousness of God... The, the perfection, the, the, he, the perfect standard that, that God demands. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. He, he's been saying it, it couldn't be, we couldn't achieve it by keeping a, a list of rules, a list of God's laws. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God, how? Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Again, there's no disputing our our record. There's no disputing that that we are guilty. That what we deserve is eternal condemnation. And yet in the courtroom of heaven, the verdict has already been declared... Not guilty. Perfectly righteous. Why? Because you've been justified. That's that's already happened if you're a believer. Yes, we will stand before God one day, but the verdict has already been given. Right? I mean, 
This is talked about in the past tense. You keep reading in Romans, and Romans chapter 5 talks about in the past tense too. Since then you have been justified through faith in, in Christ. Justification is God's declaration that the believer is in a right relationship with him. It's a, it's a legal, a courtroom declaration made by God at the start of a Christian life. And so, again, if you're taking notes, you could fill this in. Here's what, it, here's what justification entails. Through faith in Christ, I am declared, accepted, and treated as righteous in God's courtroom. I'm declared, accepted, and treated as righteous in God's courtroom. Isn't that amazing? You are declared righteous. You are declared to be perfectly holy and acceptable to God and will be treated as such. A legal decree from God has been issued that you are now and forever will be in a right relationship with him. And so that changes everything. It means we go from, from being an enemy of God's to being a friend of God, and more than that, even a, a, a blood-bought child of God, which we'll consider in future weeks. That means when, when God saves us through faith in Christ, we go from being separated from God to being reconciled to Him. We go from being dead and guilty in our sins to now being forgiven and, and, and having new life and accepted as righteous in God's sight. And so again, imagine that courtroom scene and you hearing that verdict, not guilty, perfectly righteous. And you might be thinking, oh, maybe he's mistaken because I know I'm not. But then you hear the judge say, welcome into my glorious presence. Well done. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Here's your room in my house. Here are crowns for your head. Here are your brothers and sisters in Christ with whom you can fellowship for eternity. Here's the new heavens and the new earth to enjoy. Here's your position of authority in my eternal kingdom. These are all things that believers have to look forward to after Christ's return. How can this be? You and I don't deserve those blessings. Again, we know we've broken God's laws. We know we've not lived up to God's standards. How could God do this? Isn't God an honest judge? That leads us to our third point. We've considered the verdict deserved. And now then the verdict that is given. But the third heading is verdict reached. How did God reach that verdict? How did he come to the point where he could take sinners like us and say, you are not guilty. You are perfectly righteous in my sight. Well, verses 24 and 25 explain how God reached that verdict to justify sinners like us. Again, verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's how God can reach that verdict. God can justify sinners like you and me because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. 
Verse 24 explains that Jesus provided redemption for his people. That means Christ's death paid the price necessary in order to redeem us, to free us from the penalty and the enslaving power of sin. Verse 25 goes on to explain that Christ's death was a propitiation, meaning it it was a sacrifice that fully satisfied and turned away God's holy wrath. God being, being holy, being a just judge, must punish sin. And yet Christ then died in our, suffered and died in our place to provide um, a, a substitute to take that punishment instead of us. So in your notes, there are two important truths that describes what God does for us in Christ. And, and you can think of this as kind of like the great exchange that takes place in, in salvation. The first bullet point there is, my sins are forgiven because they were charged to Christ. My sins are forgiven because they were charged to Christ. This is why Jesus died on the cross. All right, have you ever thought about that? Why did Jesus have to die? Many people know and perhaps even believe that Jesus died on the cross before they actually understand why he died on the cross. We talked about this a couple of studies ago with our young people. Jesus did not die on the cross in order to be an example of love and sacrifice to us. Now, it does provide that example, but that isn't why he died on the cross. He died on the cross in order, like this passage says, in order to be a propitiation for our sins. He was, you know, again, we've got courtroom language. The Bible uses economic language as well. It's like a transaction was taking place here, right? Jesus was paying the penalty for our sins in our place. He was paying for the sins of his people. He was taking... God's punishment against those sin that those sins deserved. He was satisfying God's holy wrath. Jesus himself was sinless. But he was taking the sins of his people upon himself and then paying the penalty for those sins. And I'll show you a verse that summarizes that in just a moment. So that's the first the, the one side of the transaction. Our sins, if you're in Christ, your sins have been charged to Jesus. He's paid for them. And then the flip side of that uh, exchange is the second bullet point there. The perfect righteousness of Christ has been credited to me. The perfect righteousness of Christ has been credited to me because in order for us to be saved, in order for us to enjoy, uh, be in the presence of God forever in heaven... We not only need forgiveness of sins, but we also need perfect righteousness. And that's why, by the way, Jesus came to earth and became a man by becoming a baby and then living for 33 years under God's law, right? I mean, he didn't just come to earth and become a a full-grown man and die on the cross the next day. No. No. Because 
not only was he, did he come to be that substitute to bear the sins and punishment, but he also came to live the life that we are required to live but fall so short of. So he lived that perfect, obedient life as a man, depending on God's word and depending on the Spirit, perfectly obeying his Father in every way, even for him uniquely, (laughs) even to the point of death on a cross. And so Christ's death was the culminating act of his life of perfect obedience to the Father. And so when God justifies us, what he's doing then is he's taking the perfect righteousness of Christ and he's crediting it to our account. And so God then can declare us righteous because we stand before him, as the Bible says, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So that's the great exchange. My sins are forgiven because they were charged to Christ and the perfect righteousness of Christ has then been charged or credited to me. God does both of those things through the work of Christ and the Spirit for all who are united to Christ by faith. Jesus took our sin and punishment upon himself and he gave us his perfection. And and. An example that John Piper I read many years ago that's always helped me and stuck with me. He gives an academic illustration. We not only needed our F, you know, you fail an exam, right? We not only needed our F dropped, which would be like the forgiveness of our sins, we also needed an A plus. And that's Jesus' righteousness being credited to us. Both things happen through through our union with Christ. The verse I mentioned to you that sums this up nicely is 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him... Now, you know, you look at the context, you can figure out who the he's and the him's are, but for our sake God the Father made him, God the Son, to be sin who knew no sin... Remember, Jesus Christ was sinless, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what Romans is saying. The righteousness of God has been manifested it's the a way to be righteous has been made known not through keeping the law because no one can do that perfectly how through faith in christ and so that's how god the judge can can rule this way when we stand before god as a christian we stand before him united to christ our sins are not being ignored They have been dealt with by Christ. All of our sins, past, present, and even the, sadly, the ones we'll still commit. Our punishment has not been dismissed. It has been given to Christ. God's standard has not been compromised. Christ's righteousness has been given to us. And so God can declare us righteous because our sins were punished as Christ bore our punishment on the cross. 
That's why then back to Romans 3, the second half of verse 26 says, remember as, as it's talked about the redemption of Christ and the propitiation, it says, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's talking about God the Father. It's saying because of the gospel, because of the finished work of Christ, God the Father can be a just judge. He can be just and merciful. He can be just and gracious. The finished work of Christ is how God can be just and still pardon sins. He's a just judge. Again, he's not ignoring sin. He's not allowing sins to go unpunished. Justice was executed against the sins of God's people. And so on the cross, Christ bore our sin and paid the full punishment. He was was bearing the full brunt of the wrath of God. And then he died, and on the third day he rose again, and that shows that God accepted Christ's payment on our behalf. That all who would believe in Christ will be forgiven. Their sins will have been paid for. So God is not unjust. God does not compromise his justice or holiness. They are upheld. Notice again, I've said it a few times, but just to be very clear, this, I'm talking about what happens for believers, what happens for Christians, what happens for those who place their faith in Christ. We cannot earn our salvation ourselves. We cannot try to be good enough to hope that we'll pass that final exam on our own, to hope that God lets us into heaven. Maybe your picture of a courtroom uh, at the end was one where there's like scales and, and you know, you're hoping your, your good works outweigh your bad and then maybe you'll be let in. No, the Bible is very clear, even in this passage, that that can never work. That will not happen. Because God cannot allow any sin into his presence. And so by works of the law, or by good works, none of us can be justified. It's only through faith in Christ. We see that all throughout this passage. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe... Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of whom? Of the one who has faith in Jesus. So you can say I'm righteous in God's sight if you've placed your faith in Jesus, if you've embraced him as Savior and Lord. It's a gift of God's grace, and faith is how we receive that gift. It's faith in Christ, the finished work of Christ. And that's what happens when a person comes to Christ. They recognize their need. They, by God's grace, he opens their eyes to where they recognize they're a sinner and, and that they deserve God's punishment. And then they, they also see Christ and what he's done, his life, death, and resurrection. And so they, they admit their need and they place their faith in Christ. And that's how someone is, is saved. That's how this transaction takes place. 
And so again, thinking about the courtroom scene. When you stand before God, what verdict will you hear? Because we all will stand before God someday. Those who are in Christ, the verdict's already been given, and so we'll just hear that again, you know? We'll get to hear it. You're righteous. Praise God. Praise Jesus. But it's important that each of us think about our, personally, think about standing before God. What verdict will I hear come from Almighty God? If I'm without Christ, I will hear hear guilty and I'll hear depart from me, you worker of iniquity, and I'll be cast into a lake of fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. And I, I pray that would not be the fate of anyone hearing this message. And it doesn't need to be because if you trust in Christ then you'll be pronounced righteous and you'll be welcomed into eternal glory. And so make sure you are ready to stand before God. Turn from your sins if you have not already and by faith embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior. I have one more heading. Verdict remembered. Verdict remembered. I've been talking about standing before God in the future after we die, and that's true. We will all stand before him. But again, the Bible says the moment we trust in Christ, we are justified. So this verdict has already been given. If you're a Christian, this verdict's already been given in God's courtroom. You've already been declared righteous. God's verdict has been given, and it will not change. God's verdict will not change. Because your salvation was by God's grace. You didn't earn it. And so you you don't have to try to keep it, work to keep it. You're not going to lose it. It's by grace. The verdict has been given. It will not change. And so now while we wait for our final hope, while we wait for being with God in glory after Christ returns, we need to remember that God has declared that we are righteous in his sight. And again, that kind of goes back to the whole purpose for the sermon series, right? What is our identity in Christ? Well, this is one aspect of it. I am righteous in God's sight. And so, believer, as you and I follow Christ while still struggling with sin, we need to remember that we are united to Christ. Therefore, God has declared us righteous in his sight. When Satan accuses you or your own conscience condemns you, Remind yourself that you are righteous in God's sight. When you fall short of people's expectations or the expectations that you even have for yourself, remember that you are righteous in God's sight. When you're tempted to try to earn favor with God, remember that you are righteous in God's sight. When, you're, when you catch yourself starting to trust in your own accomplishments, remember, no, I'm righteous in God's sight because of Christ. It doesn't matter what others think of me. God, the final judge, has declared 
that by his grace he loves me and accepts me in Christ. The verdict has been given and it is final. It will never change. And so that is good news. That means we don't live in fear of judgment. That means we, we have peace and, and can just enjoy our relationship with God our Savior. Romans 8.1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ today, you are righteous in God's sight. You've been declared, accepted, and treated as righteous. May those truths encourage you as you walk and follow Christ and seek to bring glory to him. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your amazing grace. What a, what a precious gift. There, there's no greater gift that could be given to us than this gift of salvation, this gift that, that cost your own son um, his life. And so we praise you for the glories of your grace we praise you for the, the glory of the finished work of Christ. What a, what a glorious work it is that he accomplishes. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Perfect righteousness can it be. Hallelujah, what a Savior. May you encourage your people, help us to, to live in light of, of this truth. And again, Father, please show the your sovereign grace today in, in drawing people to yourself who don't know you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you stand together, please, and we'll sing another song of praise before we're dismissed.